0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 7, and the last time we covered, well, We broke up Isaiah 6 into two chapters, and the title was Experiencing God, and it was great because part one and part two, each time someone came forward to receive the Lord. And today, the title of the message is Alliances, and if we could put up a map of today in the Middle East, the black and white map, just kind of give you a snapshot. I know at least one person who was overseas uh, who's familiar with some of this area, but this is the continent of Africa. This is the Arabian Peninsula. You can see how the countries are divided up. Uh, you have Europe over here and the, the Near East and then the Far East, what some call the Middle East. Um, Israel is very small over here. You have Jordan, uh, Lebanon, Syria, Iran, and you kind of see the Shia a Crescent, which has a lot of significance today, not to be outdone and counterbalanced by the Sunni uh, peninsula down here in a lot of countries, so you see a lot of chaos in that area and you see these two uh, brands of Islam uh, vying for power. So if we can go back to ancient times, we're going to talk about what's going on about 2700 years ago, which really sets the stage, especially in Daniel's prophecy for the rise and fall of different kingdoms and you see more of a, a microcosmic view, a kind of a zoom in of this portion. All right, you see Africa still over here, Egypt, uh, Arabian Peninsula is down here, Persian Gulf, and over here would be, um, see, Jordan and uh, Iraq and Iran, so on and so forth. But let's go back 2,700 years. Uh, I'm finding myself, you say, why are we, we talking about this? Well, you need to understand the context, really, to the rest of Isaiah. When you look at the whole prophecy of Isaiah, the whole book, all 66 chapters, you have to have a little framework for it. So today is really important for that framework. Now what happens is, uh, if you look at Israel, here's Jerusalem, uh, which was the capital of the southern kingdom, Judah, and then the northern kingdom, the ten tribes in the north, the capital would be Samaria. Um, For many years, Syria, Damascus, right, still, still there, a lot of artifacts there, Uh, Syria was just causing a big headache to Israel for many years. They would, uh, you know, there would be border skirmishes, raids, and things like that. What would happen is, down here, over in this area, the Assyrian Empire was coming to power. And and last Sunday, I was maybe talking too fast, and I was asked there's a big difference between Syria and Assyria, okay? So what happens is, Assyria starts to come to power and causes an attenuation of Syria. The bigger they got, the weaker they got. So when Syria got weaker, they kind of laid off a little bit of uh, Judah and Israel. And what happens is Syria and Israel have this bright idea that they're going to have a Syro-Ephraimite coalition, and they're going to try to repel this up-and-coming kingdom. Uh, And then what they want to do is go to the south and say, hey, you be the third nation, help us out here. The three of us, maybe we'll be able to fend off Assyria. Well, the southern nation says no. So what Syria and Israel try to do is put in a puppet government. It fails miserably. Uh, At this time, Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom. And instead of trusting God, he makes an alliance with Assyria. These people were brutal, by the way. These were the ones that God sent Jonah over there to Nineveh to say, hey, preach, preach to them. And he didn't want to do it because he just hated them. They were just brutal. They were warlike. They were cruel when they captured people. Uh, but God loves the whole world. He wants everybody to be saved. So you, you see this a lot. Okay? Now what happens is Ahaz is, is petitioning Assyria to get these two guys off of his back. Assyria then starts to attack. 734 BC, he attacks Damascus. Within two years, the city's leveled down to the ground. The nobles are... Kidnapped, carried off, other nobles are impaled on stakes, uh, villages are burned, it's terrible. And what he also does is, then he goes and heads towards the northern kingdom of Israel, 724 to 721 BC, besieges Samaria after scooping up a bunch of villages, uh, besieges, and then these capital cities, they had walls around them. So it took sometimes years. Romans did this too, siege warfare, um, you know, to try to, to try to get in there. Uh, 724 to 721 BC, the Assyrians finally get in and completely level the northern kingdom of Israel. So this is where we are in the scripture. Now, God tells the southern kingdom, don't make alliances with this guy. Ahaz doesn't listen, he's an evil king. And then Assyria, guess what, turns on them too. So we're going to look at this in six parts. And uh, let's jump in. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. I love the detail in the Bible. I'm a details guy. I also love it because, you know, people who have issues with the Bible, usually nine times out of 10 they've never read any of it and I will challenge them. You know, the Bible's written by a bunch of old men and there's collusion, all right, let's talk about that, you know, and just pick off these arguments one at a time. If you're gonna lie, you're not gonna put this much detail. You go to your secular encyclopedia, you'll find that all these people existed, all these places existed. Um, So there's a lot of detail in the scripture. And it was told, the house of David saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim, which was, uh, you had Judah, you had Benjamin, and above Benjamin was Ephraim, which is a dominant tribe in the northern kingdom. So remember, they try to put in a puppet government in the south, and they mustered forces on the border, and they went to attack the southern kingdom because they wouldn't make this alliance. So every, everybody's aligning themselves with somebody else, and nobody's aligning themselves with God. So God, he says, he kind of lets go, and he goes, all right, have at it. You guys want to all fight with each other. I'm, I'm here. You know. And he does that today too. I'm here. And a lot of people don't, don't take advantage of that relationship. So the forces are deployed in Ephraim, so his heart, the king, and the heart of his people were moved as as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. So here's number one out of six is the political situation um, in this area. Verse one the coalition of the Syrians, Syrians, and the Israelites cannot prevail against jerusalem and it's not because ahaz was a great guy but it was because god promised that the the line of the messiah would come from judah see as people we look at the here and now what's going on in my life what happened yesterday what's my projects look like this week but god looks at the big picture that's why it's so important to align yourself with god for many reasons because he can see the end from the beginning right he knows what's good for us but we, we end up focused on our circumstances, and that's what they were doing. It says verse two, the hearts their hearts were moved as the trees were moved with the wind. In other words, there was a lot of colloquialisms back there uh, back then, and in other words, they were terrified. The people were scared. Now, in the United States that's hard for us to understand, because we 're surrounded by two great oceans and uh, you know kingdoms in the north and the south that don't really match our superiority in, in the military. But just imagine for a moment that the Canadians were hostile <laughs> and they had the, uh, an equal military and they amassed on the New York border. Do you think some folks would be concerned in the tri-state area? You bet they would. Again, it's not, it, I'm trying to help you and, and this is what I do. Part of what I do is to bring you back to this time period and to tr- kind of set the stage so we can understand what's going on back then. But God was basically saying, if you let me, I got this. I got this. Romans 8.31b, if God is for us, who can be against us? And let me ask you this morning, who's coming against you this week? You know, what are you dealing with in your life? What is a, a big monster or a behemoth or a Goliath that you're dealing with? You know, Are you trusting God? Do you, do you not know God? Do you want to know God? Because he offers his love and his protection and his understanding liberally, freely. Right? Trust God. We continue, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, so God speaking to the prophet, go out now and meet Ahaz, the king, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And say to him, say to the king, take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for the, these two stubs of smoking firebrands For the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabeal. Now remember, the expressions. People can look at the Bible quickly and make an improper judgment. Go up. Wait, they're in the south. They're speaking about elevation. Go up you know, to Jerusalem, the the, the the mount there. So understand, you understand the geography, you understand the figures of speech. Verse 7, Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim, or Another word for the northern kingdom is Samaria, which is the capital. And the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. So what does this all mean? Well, two is God tells Isaiah, and and we talk about object lessons today. In other words, you know, Jesus kind of did object lessons with parables. Look at what's going on outside. Now, let me make a spiritual analogy. So an object lesson is something where you kind of, you're walked through your faith, you're walked through your belief, and you see it kind of unfolding in, in a lesson that may be happening in real time in your life. So Isaiah names his son shear Jasheb, which means a remnant shall return. So take your son, this object lesson, because of his name, go to the king. And two things, rebuke him for his unbelief, but also calm him of his fears if he chooses the Lord if he chooses the Lord now if you remember in Isaiah 6:13 we also saw the remnant right and and these cultures where God was trying to reach out to these cultures and even if they were a decadent culture um our missionaries here were talking about South and North Korea yes there are Christians in North Korea and they're treated horribly But even in North Korea, with all the brainwashing, there is a remnant, which is a wonderful thing. And for them to stay Christians and be vocal about that, it's pretty much suicide. But they're not going to deny Jesus. Um, They're not, you know, they're afraid of Kim Jong un, but they more fear the Lord. They're more concerned about what the Lord thinks. So you can see this play out anywhere, this whole idea about the remnant in any decadent culture, right? And basically, God was saying, When Ahaz looks at the boy, and his name is a remnant shall return, Judah goes through this series of good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings, and then eventually the wickedness is so great that the Babylonians in 586 BC, actually the siege started roughly 604 BC, and it takes a long time, Nebuchadnezzar, these undulating uh, attacks on Jerusalem. Eventually 586 BC, Babylonians get in, they cart everybody out, but... The Judahites are preserved later on in the uh, Persian monarchy, and then the Greeks and then the Romans. Persian monarchy lets the Jews go back to Jerusalem, thus preserving the line. You know, even in foreign countries, they were able to continue with the records of whose son and whose son, and eventually Jesus is born out of that line. Again, <laughs> you and I, what are we saying? Oh, my insurance bill came in the mail. You know what I'm saying? This wedding is going to cost a fortune. You know, this is what we look at. And God's like, I got it. I got this. Trust me. And, and sadly enough, I don't care if it's 2,700 years ago or today. Humans are humans. We stress out about silly things. And God says, listen, I'm looking at the big picture. That's what I love about God. He's a big picture God. And the, the uh, applications are, are astonishing in the Scripture." because you and I can benefit. He's an eternal God. This isn't some old story that he was trying to be faithful to some people and, oh, that was nice back then. Well, it's the same thing today. If you'll have him, you know the Lord. right? Well, unfortunately, history tells us a a sad story. Why? Not because God wasn't faithful. It's because the people weren't faithful. Right? The people didn't listen. The culture didn't listen. And today, the same thing happens. Sometimes in the church, American culture, are we listening or becoming more decadent? We're supposed to be that preserving influence as Christians. Well, what do you think about this situation? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. Walking Bibles, walking gospel, walking light. We carry Christ in us and we carry his message. Verse 3, like I said, I'm a details guy. Uh, The king is most likely inspecting, you know, why does the Bible put this stuff in here? King's inspecting the aqueduct. For what reason? Well, because they didn't have modern plumbing. And when your city was under siege, and there was no way in and no way out, because you had to keep the enemy out, you had to inspect the water supplies. Is there enough water supply? Is it tainted? Will it, will it hydrate my people for months or years, depending on how long the siege is? So this is what's going on. Ah- uh, excuse me, Isaiah takes his son with him, Isaiah the prophet, and he goes up to the king and he has a conversation with him. Well, verse 4, let's look at the advice God gives to King Ahaz in times of stress, fear, and trouble that you and I, 2,700 years later, could benefit from. A, he says, take heed. Take heed means pay attention. This is important. And whenever God says pay attention, it's something we should pay attention to because he's God. Everything that's in here is important. It's His Word. B, be quiet (laughs) or be calm. Settle your nerves. C, don't fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. 1 John 4.18. You know, it's this this fear, this love-fear kind of continuum. The more love that we receive and we allow God to have in our life, the less we fear. The more we fear, the more we're driving out His love. It's like an inverse relationship, okay? Rest in God's love. And D, don't be faint-hearted. Don't lack courage. God has your back. Now, this is a spiritual exercise, folks, because, again, doing a lot of study in anatomy and physiology, what happens when you're faced with a threat? Fight or flight. You have your parasympathetic nervous system, and your sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is the adrenaline starts pumping. You get tunnel visioned. You know, your, your thinking becomes base. I'm either going to fight my way out of this or I'm going to run. It's, it's the way the body works. It's a survival technique. And it's amazing because God in His Word often says, go outside of that. You can do it. You know, relax. Trust me. Now, we do what we can right? But we also leave it in the Lord's hands. We have to trust him. Again, what's coming against you? Maybe God is asking you to call upon him this morning for your deliverance. If you're not a believer, he wants a relationship with you. Again, you, you see this through his word. So, in verse 4 also, it's interesting that God speaks about these two terrifying nations, Israel and Syria, that were coming against the southern kingdom of Judah, frightening the people. And he's saying, I see um, smoking firebrands here, right? Don't be faint-hearted. I see two stubs of smoking firebrands. What did Ahaz, the king of Judah, see? He saw a consuming forest fire. You see the difference in perspective? We see things certain ways, but we have to... Lord, how are you seeing this? How are you reading this? Because I'm terrified right now. God's like, listen, you see them as... They're going to come in there, they're going to take over. I see them as two embers that are outside, and they're just dying out. You see, you'll watch. I mean, it's possible that Ahaz remembered the stories of how King Amaziah in the south, the years before in Second Kings 14, how he was overcome by the northern kingdom of Israel. Again, he's seeing with worldly eyes. He's not seeing with God's eyes. And a lot of times, our past experience, folks, color how we behave today, don't they? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And then something happens, and it triggers something. And then what happens is we start reverting to base you know, physiological behaviors, and God's saying, you've got to pull away from that. You've got to trust me on this one. You see what I'm saying? You've been Christian long enough, you've experienced it. I know I have. Break the cycle, return to God. But God saw the end of Israel and Syria in a few years, and Ahaz was only living in the here and now. Verse 9, God speaking to Ahaz personally. I mean, basically, he tells him, Judah, your nation will survive this, but personally, you've got to believe and trust in me. God knew that Ahaz was eventually going to disregard him, but he still gave Ahaz the chance. And that's what I love about God. Listen, he gave the Ninevites a chance. Horrible people. His own prophet was was arguing with him, Jonah. Irritated, angry. Hate those people. Great. It's nice. Nice discussion. Pack up and go there and talk to them. Right? He sees it all. He loves all. And sometimes we have to get the memo on that one. You know what I'm saying? We have to have his heart. Those people, well, they're different. Well, they're antagonistic. Well, they're, and God's like, but I love them. And that's the beautiful thing about God. Everybody gets a chance at salvation. Verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord, your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Three, God speaks to Ahaz, again, through the prophet Isaiah, a second time. Ask a sign for yourself. Ask it. Go ahead. Test me. And it's not often in the Bible, but it is in the Scripture when God does this. You know, put your belief, put your trust in God. But Ahaz was trusting in the wrong things. And sometimes we make that mistake as well. Trust in the wrong things. Well, in this instance, he was really wanting Ahaz to do the right thing. But he didn't. Ahaz already rejected God. He wouldn't give God a chance. And sometimes when we go out into the world as believers we see a world that's filled with God rejectors. and again I'm not here to criticize anybody it it just is they're bombarded by the media by social media you know to try to get us to not believe in God or in is amazing something that's a fairy tale that people work so hard spend millions of dollars to try to not to not to believe nobody has to spend millions of dollars to get me not to believe in unicorns I've never seen one I don't think they exist you know what I'm saying? It would be money foolishly spent. Why fight so hard to get a populace not to believe in something that doesn't exist? It's very expensive. I've heard a few times, uh, Joe, <laughs> take it for what it is, if I came to your church, the church would burst into flames. And some of you are saying, what kind of people do you know? <laughs> but I'll go to anybody. I don't care who it is. I don't care how hostile they are. I just love it. I love to talk to people about the Lord, but it is—you know what it is—they're not trusting God. So far, the place hasn't burst into flames, and we have a really good early warning detection system as well. <laughs> but, but they limit God's power and they limit God's love. You know what I'm saying? I might have even said that when I was in my teens and my twenties. But Ahaz was hard of heart. So, what does Isaiah the prophet do in verse 13? He speaks to the whole house of David. Ahaz, you're the head. You have awesome responsibilities as the king. But then it went out to the whole house of David. Remember, this is no secret letter. This has been around for thousands of years, this letter, this book. Okay? I don't know. I don't know what Ahaz's problem was, but he, the Bible lists him as a, as a wicked king. Maybe he saw some of the suffering. And, and like today, people say, well, there's suffering in the world, therefore, dot, dot, dot. Therefore, there's something wrong with God. I'll tell you what, a lot of times suffering brings us to the foot of the cross. Many people have become believers and have gained entrance into heaven because of their trials that brought them to Christ, which is a wonderful thing. Now, what's more important, having a wonderful life with no problems, which I think that's only in movies and books. I don't know anybody who has a life like that. Or having trials and being brought to the Lord and then in the end being thankful that You're going to spend eternity with God because it it changed your thinking. You started looking at at the big picture. Verse 13, he says, You weary men, but will you also weary God? Ahaz was extremely stubborn. He was not going to turn from his self-directed path. Continuing on, verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You don't want a sign? God's going to give you one anyway. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both kings. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you, and your people, and your father's house. Days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Now, in prophecy, if you're not familiar with the Bible, or if you're a believer and you're not familiar with prophecy, prophecy takes a while to get used to. In Isaiah 61, Jesus refers to, uh, well, Jesus refers to Isaiah 61, I believe it's verse 2. And in the middle of the verse, he speaks about what he's doing, a fulfillment of the prophecy in him. And then he speaks about the day of vengeance of our God. Like, not missing a beat. Jesus is saying it in the same breath. And you're like, whoa, whoa, what did he just say? You go back to it. He's talking about two different things. Remember, when God sees sees everything at once, we have to decipher the prophetic books in linear time. God could be speaking about the present. He could be speaking about the past. And he speaks about the future. I, I love that part. I love when 2,700 years ago, Christians today can read it and go, wow, he's speaking about the millennial kingdom. He's speaking about the Lord's return. That's amazing because there's so much detail and so much accuracy. Let's, let me just kind of give you the down low on prophecy. And this is four out of six. The sign of the prophecy of Emmanuel. So the first thing that prophecy does, and then it breaks up into A and B, is prophecy proves the existence of God. And the longer I'm studying the Bible, I'm finding geography and anthrop- anthropology and archaeology and history is proving the ex- existence of God. I just have a lot of fun with it. it was I did it in my opening. Um, you talk to the average person on the street. What, Assyria, who's that? And you talk about the nations. Well, this became Iraq and Persia became Iran, but it's the same country the same Tigris, Euphrates, and you kind of go through all the kingdoms and the prophecies that are even coming true and unfolding today. So going back, prophecy is basically where God tells the future. And this is the beauty of prophecy. He does near fulfillments and far fulfillments. So for the people at the time of Ahaz, right, he says, this is going to happen in a few years. No way. We're, we're, they're right at the gates. They're gonna any day. They're gonna break through, and we're, we're done. We're gonna be the subservient to them. God's like, no, it's not gonna happen. But what's gonna happen is they're gonna be wiped out by Assyria. No, no, it can't be. Okay, you'll see. And they did see. For us, it's hindsight. What he also does is, especially for us as believers, because he cares about his people, no matter what time period they live in. There's a there's a far fulfillment, right? So for the first century, remember why did uh, you know? Matthew just leave his tax-collecting booth. Why did the fishermen... What a fairy tale the Bible is. No, it's not a fairy tale. They knew the prophecy. They knew any day now somebody is going to be the Messiah and he's going to do these things, and and they just left. They left their jobs. (laughs) They just started following Jesus. Not a fairy tale. It's fulfillment of prophecy. So the far fulfillment is for people later on. Some 750 years later, the sign of the prophecy of Emmanuel, the far prophecy took place. So near and far. Right? He does this with end times prophecy so that even we can see things in the future that haven't happened yet. So the far fulfillment which comes first, again, it's not in chronological order. The miraculous birth of Christ by a virgin, Mary, right? or Miriam in the Hebrew. The virgin would conceive and there would be a miraculous conception because you need a male and a female, right? Now, for those that think, well, maybe it's a mistranslation, and it's, this is the really, really cool part. Uh, the word "halma" or alma in the Hebrew, means a virgin. A young, unmarried virgin. How do we know that? Because really, really neat translation in the 3rd century BC called the Septuagint. Really, really cool. Seventy Hebrew scholars being dominated by Alexander the Great's Greece wanted the message of the scripture to go to the Greeks, the polytheists. Well, maybe we can convert them to monotheism. So they take the entire Hebrew Bible and they convert it to the Koine Greek, 3rd century B.C. Jesus even references, if you look at some of the, the, the New Testament passages, he references the Septuagint. Pretty amazing stuff. In the Septuagint, the word hama is translated to parthenos. Parthenos in the Koine Greek was only known as a virgin, period. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Look it up. So I love that. Wow, we read that virgins. This doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't make sense. It's miraculous. That's why it's called a sign. And what would be miraculous or a sign about a young woman having a baby? That happens every day, millions of times a day. It was a virgin that was going to conceive. The word Emmanuel literally means God is with us. When, Christ, when God the Son came down and took the form of a man, literally, he was God with us. And there's many names for Christ, and that's one of his names. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And he dwelt among the people that he created. Powerful. We continue. The near fulfillment. So we just covered in their time, far fulfillment. For us, it's a previous fulfillment, right? Because we're 2,700 years later as believers. To them, it's going to happen, but to them, something very close at their door was going to happen. Jerusalem wouldn't have been broken down like they thought. These two are going to be wiped out. So the near fulfillment is that, and there's conjecture, that a child born at that time that Isaiah was speaking, uh, some believe it was another child of Isaiah, but I don't want to get into the speculation, that before they could eat solid food, before they could learn right from wrong, that... Syria and Israel were going to be wiped out. Wiped out. Never to harass Judah again. And that's what happened. 734 to 722 B.C. for Syria. 724 to 721 B.C. for the northern kingdom of Israel. Amazing. So, listen. I love, you know what I love about this scripture? God challenges the skeptics to challenge him. He says, go ahead, test me. How do I know that this was true? Because the Jews today wouldn't have him in their Jewish Bible if what he said, all these prophecies that he said didn't come to pass. They'd say, you're a false prophet. Why? Because in Deuteronomy 18.22, God gives a test for a prophet that he has to be right 100% of the time. And if he's not, or she's not, there's some female prophets too, God says, disregard I make no mistakes. Everything he or she she says has to come to pass 100% of the time. 99.9% for God, not good enough. right? So Isaiah is revered even to the Jews today that don't believe because what he said came to pass, and nobody would have known it. It's impossible. It's the future. Verse 18, we continue. This is the sad part. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will whistle for the fly that is in the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. They will come. And all of them will rest in the desolate valleys and in the clefts of the rocks and on all thorns and in all pastures. In the same day, the Lord will shave with a hired razor with those from beyond the river or the river Euphrates was known as the river because it was the main river back then. Still is over there with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the legs, and will also remove the beard. It shall be in that day that a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, so it shall be from the abundance of milk they give, that he will eat curds, for curds and honey everyone will eat who is left in the land. Five out of six is, sadly enough, Ahaz, you and the people, your nobles, are trusting in Assyria. I have bad news for you, that when, Israel, or when Assyria is done wiping out Syria and Israel, they're coming after you. They're coming for you. Better to trust me than to trust men, but if this is what you want to do, they're going to waste all that manpower fighting the the Syrians. They're going to waste all that manpower and lives fighting Samaria and Israel. They're going to want a little payback. So they're coming your way. Ahaz would have been probably terrified. You ever meet somebody who they're just going the wrong way and you keep trying to you you just want them to get better more than they do and this is ahaz ahaz it's very simple just turn to the lord stubborn person and everybody suffered because of it alliances sometimes christians make them too and sometimes they trust more in their alliances than they trust god and you know what when we do that we're not going to be victorious God's word is eternal. If it happened back then, <laughs> God's not going to give us a path. Why is this happening? What does the word say? Verse eighteen: He'll whistle for the fly and the bee. In other words, Ahaz trusted in nations, but those nations were going to come after him: Assyria to the east and Egypt to the southwest. Right? They were going to pinch Judah, and you could imagine Ahaz saying, "But I thought you were my friend." Have we done that today? We make an alliance with someone and we almost elevate them to the point where this is it. Christians politic. Christians make alliances. And i am got to tell you, for me personally, I've been burnt. I thought you were my friend. <laughs> I love you like a son. I love you like a brother. Those are all nice and well-wishing, but you'd be surprised what it takes for somebody to turn on you. Sometimes you just tell them the truth, you know, and they don't want to hear the truth, and all of a sudden you're the enemy. (laughs) So Assyria, Ahaz was such a a jerk. (laughs) He actually took, if you read the history, he took some of the gods from Assyria and brought them down to Judah and Jerusalem and had the priests copy these pagan temples next to God's temple and started worshiping these false idols. He brought some of Assyrian false god worship into Judah. And it's amazing because Assyria going back to that map uh southeast in the lower tip of the southeast corner of the assyrian empire was the babylonians and the babylonians were were talking and going we don't really like them why don't we rise up i think we could take them and they do and the babylonians arise out of the southern assyrian empire and they attack and they dominate and they whoop assyria that you ever hear about the assyrians today anybody afraid of the assyrians but they were here, they were terrified of them. God's got the big picture covered. Now, there's a lot of, again, colloquial, colloquialisms in, in those periods of time. And he speak, speaks about the hired razor and shaving the beard. The Assyrians were, there was no Geneva Convention back then. When the, Nobody wanted the Assyrians to dominate them because they were cruel. And they would humiliate people. And you know for the jews the beard was was important and they'd hold the men down and they'd forcefully shave them shave all the hair off of their faces and legs and strip them naked and you know you can read about the assyrians they were brutal people um so you can you can look at that uh, there's also times would be so difficult that people would just they wouldn't they you know most of the cattle was taken away so the little bit of sheep and cows that were left they would just eat milk dairy products because that's all they had Sad. Last few verses. It shall happen in that day that wherever there could be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver, beautiful vineyards, it would be for briars and thorns. With arrows and bows men will come there because all the land will become briars and thorns. And to any hill which could be dug with a hoe, you will not go there for fear of briars and thorns. But it will become a range for oxen and a place for sheep to roam. Six out of six is the hardships as a result of disobedience. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've experienced hardships as a result of disobedience. God wants the best for us. When we go out of his protection, he's not vindictive, he's not spiteful, but if we're living a life that's not honoring him, he'll just say, okay, go, go ahead, you know, you have it. Make your alliances, make your friends, do your politicking. Well, I'll be here if you want to come back. At the beauty of that, Jesus spoke to the churches in Revelation, and you know, the Lord says, you, you, le- you left your first love, come back to me. I'm always there, God never closes the door. So we continue on, again, it would be a, be a very difficult time, uh, expensive vineyards would become overrun with uh, thire, uh, briars and thorns, and it's amazing because in Genesis, the result of sin was also weeds and, and thorns and... Um, the man tilling the ground by the sweat of his brow. Before the fall, things just grew. They were beautiful. They watered themselves through mist that came up from the ground. God had this elaborate system set up, but when sin entered the world, death entered the world, and unfortunately, that's where the weeds came from. Um, you know, when you get—I hate ticks. You know, ticks really gross me out. Ticks and mosquitoes and. I don't know if they were there in the beginning. I think they might have come afterwards. But it, it wouldn't be a pretty picture of what was going on. Two scriptures as we close. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. What did you learn in church today? All. <laughs> You know, the more we pick and choose, the more we have these closets, no, don't go in on that one, Lord, don't, that room's not for you. We're not going to have full victory. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It, you know, it, it, I don't know anybody who's trusted in the Lord with all their heart who's been let down. Psalm 118, eight through 9, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man or woman. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. We do a lot of that today. We live in a very celebrity culture. You know, we have our celebrities. They could be Hollywood. They could be politics. They could be famous people. And then we find out something and we're like, oh. Or a pastor that falls into sin. Oh, well, it is terrible. But is our confidence in man or is it in the Lord? his people will always let us down alliances will always be broken you know that's what it says God gave King Ahaz a chance to trust him instead of Assyria but Ahaz didn't listen and he and the nation suffered for it again what are we trusting in is it our cliques our social groups our politicking you know our alliances or is it trusting God I just leave you with this. For the unbelievers here, God is giving you a chance to take his hand. What book have you ever read almost three thousand years ago that has an application for you today? That's why it's called a living word. Don't be an Ahaz, you know? Be a David. Be a, a Matthew. Be somebody that says, Okay, Lord, I, I've lived this long. I I want to trust you. To the unbeliever. For the believer, if we have alliances and we start to, oh yeah, I love the Lord, I go to church, that's great. But in our heart, we can trust sometimes our alliances more than we're trusting in the Lord. I'm going to take it from me, you're going to get burned. It's just a matter of time. Uh, So the bottom line is the scripture is right. To trust in the Lord with all of our heart and to put our trust in the Lord more than men or women. Let's pray.